from The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and A. When Alona Verley was growing up, the number of people in the media or on TV who were queer and indigenous were roughly zero. So when she was cast this season on Canada's Drag Race, the first indigenous and two-spirit contestant to ever compete in the now global franchise, she knew she had a big opportunity. And that is why she made the decision to, in her words, not shut up about that. And I love that about her. I think it's smart. Two-spirit is an identity that doesn't have a lot of visibility. Two-spirit, which loosely translates to an indigenous person who identifies with both their masculine and feminine side, it is something that I've only become familiar with in the last couple years. So today we do spend a bit of time talking about that, as well as about her drag. How Lona Verley's drag and her gender are continuing to evolve. Here it is. I'd like to start off by talking about being two-spirit. Is that an identity that you grew up around and with the knowledge that it was something a person could be? No, I didn't actually. I was, you know, I did grow up around my culture. It wasn't until just after high school, I went to makeup school at Blanche McDonald here in Vancouver. I met Jaylene Time, who's now my drag aunt, but she is an amazing indigenous, trans, two-spirit drag artist. That was my first time actually hearing that term was when meeting her. She was someone who really got me educated on that aspect of my culture. When I met her and was hearing about being two-spirit, it was clicking for me like so quickly. I was like, this is something that resides with me so deeply. I was like, okay, like this is that missing thing that I felt when I was coming out. Like this this is who I am. I'm two-spirit. Oh, so you knew right away. You heard about it and said, oh, th that's me. Absolutely, yeah. It's like, I felt like I was always searching for this one thing, you know, and meeting Jaylene and hearing about two-spirit and what it means to be two-spirit, it just clicked a million things in my mind. <laughs> so tell me if I'm wrong, but just like how there are many different groups of Indigenous people across North America... My understanding is that all Two-Spirit people really have different roles within society and traditions depending on the different tribe, that it really differs from group to group. Is that correct? Yeah, so being Two-Spirit, essentially, you know, that term was only brought around in the 90s, right? So every Indigenous group has had their own words or their own terms for what Two-Spirit people were in their communities. You know, Two-Spirit people have many different backgrounds from, like, giving names to the children, hunting, beating, gathering, collecting. Like, it just, there's so many different positions for Two-Spirit people because we, as Two-Spirit people, flow between the masculine and the feminine. There was never, like, a set, like, oh, you're male, do this job, you're female, do this job. For as long as the stories can tell have been in between and woven throughout every aspect and every part of our communities. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, is being two-spirit something that is culturally known and accepted in within like indigenous cultures? And I guess the answer to that is in some yes and some no. Yeah, that's totally correct. You know, a lot of indigenous communities with the whole residential school thing and like whitewashing really lost touch with accepting the queer people in their communities. I thankfully come from a group of indigenous people who are very supportive and very uplifting of me being Two-Spirit. I'm really happy that in today's world, we're seeing a resurgence of people claiming their identity as Two-Spirit people and being proud of who they are and spreading education and getting their communities involved with 
reaccepting two spirit people, you know, that's something that makes me very, very happy. And a big driver of that is just having two spirit people visible in the media, right? You are in that group now, but like while you were growing up, that number was like, I mean, like, was it zero? I mean, honestly, for me, I don't remember once ever turning on a TV show and seeing queer Indigenous representation. I think the first time I ever saw anyone Indigenous in like a movie that was popular was like Twilight the werewolves, you know, and uh, that was kind of the closest thing. And, you know, I'm not running around trying to identify as a werewolf. But like, you know, for me, that was like, early high school, I grew up years never seeing anyone like myself on TV or in film or in media. That's why it was really important to me when I got this opportunity to be on Drag Race to really not shut up about being proud of being Indigenous, you know, because it's important. It's really important to have that visibility because I I went through years of thinking that I had to be white passing to fit in and to make it in media, you know, and that's that's not true. You can make it in media just being yourself and being proud of who you are. You know, I was in Vancouver last year for Pride. And one of the things I was amazed by was the intentional inclusion of two-spirit people within the larger queer community. In the United States, we say LGBTQ or LGBTQ+, and everywhere in Vancouver, it said LGBTQIA2S+. And I think that for the majority of people in the U.S., you say two-spirit and they say, what does that mean? Is that the case in Canada, or is there a larger cultural understanding? Surprisingly, yeah, actually. Canadians are pretty good about, like, having knowledge on Indigenous communities. I mean, I've experienced a very small population of Canadians. I'm not going to speak for all Canadians, uh, clearly. But the people that I've met in my life have all had a decent understanding of what Two-Spirit means, you know? And it's it's kind of, I think, as the word itself, Two-Spirit, it kind of explains it a little bit, you know? So even if someone doesn't really know, it kind of gives them a general, like, thought, like a trail of thought to follow. Well, I think, too, like, with the growing visibility of people who are Two-Spirit, we have this rallying cry right now saying, like, gender is a construct. And Two-Spirit people kind of, like, underline that. And it's italicized because it points out that this is one example of, like, yes, gender is a construct. And look, the gender binary was brought here when the continent was colonized. And I think that's, like, a really powerful thing since for so many people, any sort of gender nonconformity feels, like, new and threatening when it's not new. No, exactly. And that's kind of, that's a really good point to touch on because even for me like I've been going back and forth with my own like gender identity per se in the last like year (laughs) last couple months really going through it you know I obviously identify with being two-spirit I that's something that speaks to my soul but as far as my presentation that society sees and how I walk out the house you know I've been going real back and forth and I think in the last like month I've really come to peace with the fact that At the end of the day, I go to bed and I'm happy because I'm myself. Part of being two-spirit, I think, for me, is understanding that I have to accept both of these male and female parts of me and that maybe for me, my happiness isn't in picking one end of the spectrum. And I think because of the standard media I've grown up with, in my head, I thought, okay, well, even though I identify with being two-spirit, maybe I still have to pick a gender to represent as on a day-to-day basis. And that's something I think I've been juggling with. And finally, kind of coming out of that tunnel, realizing, no, 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 yeah, gender is a construct. Why do I have to just be this or just be that? You know, I I have this fluidity inside myself and it can express itself any way it wants. Well, going off of that, you had a tweet recently about, well, well here, I wrote it down. It, it said this, I put myself in this box 
really putting my foot down with being a transgender woman. And I honestly feel like I pressured myself into that identity because I hate being seen as male so much. But I'm realizing that having a gender-fluid identity doesn't make me inherently male. That was the tweet. You had said previously that you were a trans woman, and then more recently said that actually that label didn't feel quite right. Can you talk about and explain more about that and, and why that label didn't feel right to you? Yeah, when I picture myself doing something, I picture myself female presenting. When I think about myself, I think about myself female presenting. My thought process is very female. I feel female, but for me... I have so many friends that are in the middle of transitioning right now and hearing their stories and hearing what they're going through, those things don't reside with me. You know, I'm fine with my body. I don't have necessarily body dysmorphia as far as my body, my face, that's another story. But as far as my body, I'm, I'm fine with my natural body. And I think being... A transgender woman for me means something different than what it means to society. And so I kind of redacted that statement because I, I don't see myself starting any type of physical transition anytime soon. But for me, I know that I'm the most comfortable when I'm female presenting. But that doesn't mean that necessarily for me in my life right now that I need to be female presenting every day. And I'm at a place where I am kind of going back and forth with my gender identity. And I know that I don't, it's not the right time for me to be making serious choices for myself like that. I definitely don't identify with being male. I know that even though I'm the most happiest female presenting, I can still be happy in my natural born state. And it's just, it's a journey and it's an experience and I'm not going to try to act like I have it all figured out. I'm still going through it. Well, I think that we see public figures and we kind of demand them to have all the answers when, especially when it comes to gender, like we hardly ever have it figured out, even for cis people figuring out like their cis identity. So I think it's really good to have examples of people like in the media who are like, no, 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 I don't have it all figured out yeah. when it comes to my own gender. Well, that's for me. I've always just tried to been honest with my followers and stuff and I think there's so many people that obviously go through the same things I go through and to know you're not alone, you know, even though you feel like maybe this like insane thing you're going through is just on you and that's it. And you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. There's always someone else out there going through the same thing. And I'm honest about everything in my life. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm just a human. I got a platform, but I'm just a human and I'm still learning and growing and figuring out who I am the same as anyone else. Seeing you come out as a trans woman and then redact that and, and, you know, clarify that that's not actually your entire identity, I'm seeing that from, like, the public view. But privately, have you been having conversations with your family, like, updating them with, like, with each new, like, discovery? Honestly, not really. I very much live my life with, like, the mindset of that I don't owe anyone anything. For me, having to constantly revisit these conversations that are hard for me to talk about is hurtful to me more than it's helpful. And so, you know, I, I know who I am. I know how I feel and I might not have all the words to explain it, but I, I think, you know, for me right now, like I kind of said in that series of tweets, the best way to describe who I am right now in this moment is non-binary, gender fluid, you know, I'm experiencing 
this very crazy fluidity right now where my mind and my body's kind of not connecting, but working together. And it's, it's a whole experience. And so I don't want to put my foot down too much with any label right now. Cause you know, who knows in a few months from now when I'm in a better mindset or a better situation, how I'm going to be feeling and who I'm going to be, you know, we're always changing. We're always growing as people. And for me right now, I'm definitely in a growing stage, I think. One more question before we move off this. Like three minutes ago, you said that you don't have a problem with your body except your face. What did, what did you mean by that? I I know the conversation of body dysmorphia, it's really, for trans people especially, it's about having the appropriate body parts to match with the gender that you are, you know? I don't have that type of body dysmorphia, if that makes sense. Like, so for me, my dysmorphia comes with my face. Like, I don't see the person I am in my face, if that makes sense. I have a disconnect with that because for me, if I had a more feminine face, I think I would be very comfortable with maybe accepting myself as a trans woman, you know? And I think that's kind of a battle I'm fighting. Sorry, this is like so weird and hard to talk about for me. So my my dysmorphia is in my face. And, you know, I think maybe that's part of why I'm kind of going back and forth right now. Because I'm, I'm fine with my face, but it's not who I am, who I feel like I am. And you're allowed to go back and forth forever and evolve and adjust how you see yourself and present. So I really do appreciate you speaking about this. I think that sometimes we think when it comes to our identities, we have to plant a flag. And after we've planted that flag, it has to stay there forever and it can't change. And that's not true. Yeah, totally. That's why, like, right now, I'm just like, honestly, fuck gender. Like, I just want to be myself. And I I know I have a community to fight for. But right now, I just feel like I'm fighting for myself more than anything. And at the end of the day, like, I have to just be happy with myself for for what I am and who I am. And then you know, the labels can come at a later date, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, having only seen you on Canada's Drag Race, looking at you now, you have piercings and tattoos on your face. Are all of those new? Um, So all my face tattoos, actually, I did have on the show, but I was always wearing makeup. So even at a drag, I had foundation on and stuff. So it just kind of like naturally covers them. And then I actually just went and got my face pierced last night because I was feeling kind of manic. And I was like, I need to do something crazy. (laughs) And so I went downtown with my friend Catherine and Kelsey, and we all went and got piercings. (laughs) Oh, so this is like 10 hours old. Oh, yeah, this is fresh. Oh, yeah, I was like wiping blood off of this before I got on this webcam. (laughs) It's audio only. It's fine. Feel free to bleed. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So with everything we're talking about with um, your let's say, gender journey. How about that? Where along the way do you start doing drag? I mean, you know, when I was in high school, I started like dabbling with makeup. And then as soon as I graduated, I went right into makeup school because I knew I wanted to pursue this and I wanted to get good at makeup and I wanted to be a drag queen. I just knew it. That that's my was my passion. And I've always loved creativity and the art of transforming and being someone else. Even before drag, I used to cosplay and do all that. And I was just tired of being a character all the time. And I wanted to be my own self and my own artistic expression. And the last couple of years of doing drag is something that's really 
connected me to my femininity, you know? It was always there, and I feel like I just didn't know how to accept it or embrace it. Drag was the one thing that brought me this confidence. And I know when you talk to a lot of drag artists, they say that their drag brings them confidence. But for me, it was on this, like, different level because it was connecting me to my female energy. Sorry, I'm, like, emotional. I'm, like, starting to cry. Sorry. No, it's it's fine. But for me, it was it was... I always knew it was something more about why I loved it so much. Oh, it wasn't a performance and like just for fun. It was like, oh, this is who I am. This like presenting female. This is not just performance. I've never said this out loud, but I think for me, so I'm trying to like get my shit together. I'm fully crying right now. I think where my hardship is, is that when I'm in drag, like that's who I am. And I'm so confident as that person and... I think my disconnect with, like, claiming my identity as a trans woman is that I'll never get to be that person all the time, you know? Because there's so many aspects of that part of doing drag that can't come into being a female for me in a day-to-day world, you know? Like, the blue contacts, the slightly raised brows, the overdrawn lips, like, it's not practical you know I can't wake up as that person I have to become that person and for me I feel like my most authentic self honestly is someone who exists in this kind of fantasy just outside reality and it's like hard to get that (laughs) into reality you know all the time I don't know I just feel like maybe I'll never get to be that person all the time but I feel like I'll get closer (laughs) it's so interesting to hear you say that because If anybody is close to that person, it's you, right? Like you're the closest person to that person. And yet that person, it sounds like is, I don't want to say unattainable, but it's not practical like to go to Starbucks and buy coffee wearing, you know, blue dog heads on your shoulders. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, like I exist in this like level that's just not real, like in between good lighting and the right filter. And, you know, it's really a weird situation to be in. If that version of you is um, is the peak, I don't know, how, how do we describe that? If, it's, if, hard, it's weird, right? Yeah, if, if she's like the ideal, if she's like the person you're striving to be, has this been a weird time for you the last six months since you're not performing, like since you're performing less than you ever have? Yeah, it's, you know, I used to be in drag like almost every day and that's when I was the most happiest, you know, and it's been different and it's been weird and I feel like there's like a disconnect now that's grown between me and myself which is really strange and something a lot of average people will probably never go through but like I haven't been really doing photo shoots or things like that because I've just been so uninspired and at this like weird dried up well kind of place in my life when I used to do photo shoots like three to four times a week and now I'm like oh maybe I'll post once a month I hate the pandemic. (laughs) It's making it rough. That is true. And you know, looking at your drag, you have a really recognizable look. It's often monochromatic. How do you yourself describe your drag? You know, for me, I describe it as head-to-toe monochromatic, pastel perfection, and good. (laughs) Very simple. Good. (laughs) Like, for me, my drag is the thing that brings me ultimate happiness and For me, I'm really happy when I'm wearing pastel colors 
and when I'm looking at pastel colors. So I was like, why not just become a pastel color? I mean, do you ever like create a look or beat your face, etc., and then look in the mirror and say, oh, this doesn't look like Alona Verley? You know, for me, I think I've been doing drag now for so long that I I know my face, right? And I can easily pull my face out in like 30 minutes, have it on and be like, it's me, I'm here, you know? I think for me, the most important thing as someone who grew up watching other artists' aesthetics and really paying attention to that, it was that no matter how creative of a look I do, I have to find ways to make sure it still looks like me. That if someone's passing me at a club, they're still going to go, oh, that's Alona, you know? And Doing these color stories I do, that's something that makes it really easy for me to be recognizable. And when I do like more creative makeup looks, I always make sure I have my heart tattoo drawn back in. I always do the same kind of lip shape. I have the same brow shape. So even though it's like crazy colors and all this other stuff, there's still those little core things that are the same always. A lot of times stand-up comedians will say it takes 10 years of practice and training before they're just good before they can compete how many years it take for you to be like damn i'm really good about 2019 was probably the first time that i had an ego and i was like i'm good <laughs> like i started drag in 2015 i feel like by about 2017 i knew i was pretty fierce but i think 2019 and 2018 i was very like okay, yeah, I'm polished. <laughs> and then as soon as you thought that, then you got on Drag Race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah, it was really crazy. I auditioned for season 12 of the American series. I have dual citizenship, so I was able to audition for that. In my audition for season 12, I lied and said that I was living in LA when I wasn't. So after I sent my tape in, I had this like whole crazy experience where I couldn't pay my rent because I spent all my money on my audition tape and I moved back in with my mom for like a month and I was like figuring out what was next and I was like going through the steps of the audition process for season 12 and I was like okay you know what I'm just gonna snap I'm gonna move to LA and make it look real convincing <laughs> so I packed up two suitcases and I went and moved in with my cousin in LA you know after a bit of being there, I found out I didn't make it all the way for season 12. And um, I was pretty heartbroken. But within like two months of finding that out, I saw Canada's Drag Race get announced. And I was like, okay, this is the moment. And so I auditioned for that. And the whole time I was auditioning for Canada's Drag Race, it was never, oh, am I going to get on? It's like, I'm going to get on. <laughs> when you say you spent all your money on your audition video, do you mind me asking how much like one would spend on that? I think... On my season 12 audition tape, I probably spent close to 10 grand. Oh my god. I wanted it to be really good, so I got like a bunch of new custom outfits. I hired my friend who's a drone operator to film like drone footage. So all of like my look portion of my tape was like me actually like going to really cool places and like having drone footage of me like serving in my look. So it wasn't just like, oh, here I am wearing this look in my apartment hallway. I was like serving production. Oh, so you're also spending money to create a look that you can then wear for other things. Yeah, totally. It's not just 10 grand and out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have to believe, too, that you investing 10K in this audition video, the producers took notice of you, and then when Canada happened, like, they were like, we know who this girl is, like, pay attention to her. Absolutely. When we went to film Canada's Drag Race, one of the producers from World of Wonder was there to welcome us to the Drag Race family, which was amazing experience, you know? He's like, yeah, I really loved your tape for season 12. 
And I loved it again when you recycled it for Canada's Drag Race. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, drag me, drag me. Um, so yeah, it it made me happy that he saw my tape for season 12 and was able to like clock it in Canada's Drag Race and be like, oh, there's that girl reusing that drone footage. <laughs> They clearly liked it. Clearly they liked it enough. <laughs> so all of the alumni of Drag Race in the US, it's they've formed like a tight group. Do you feel in community with them being part of the Canada's Drag Race? It's kind of been interesting because there's been a lot of the American girls who've like reached out and like interacted with all of us and like congratulated all of us and like welcomed us to the family and like blah 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 blah. but there's like a really good like half of the american girls who like want nothing to fucking do with us and have made it very clear and it's it's a very interesting experience um to have people that you looked up to not want to acknowledge your existence but you know that's life that show business like <laughs> oh and not only that but they're looking at you as a like, new competition the fresh meat coming to take their gigs i mean you know what i do have my american citizenship so look out bitches <laughs> as soon as that border is open i'm coming i'm taking all your gigs <laughs> i don't know if you know the answer to this but is there any talk behind the scenes about including canada drag queens and future all-stars I have no idea. I am unfortunately not privy enough to be sitting in these casting meetings. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, like I said, I have my American citizenship. I put that out into the universe. I've let them know that I am available and would be happy to do a two-week quarantine if necessary to participate on an all-star season. I definitely would love that because I feel like I definitely got kind of a Trixie edit where it was kind of like, you win nothing. <laughs> You're going home. <laughs> like, it was very, like, meh. So I feel like I have a lot to prove in an all-star season that I'm so much more than what I was on Canada's drink race. <laughs> and uh, I would definitely love the opportunity to showcase a more confident side of myself. Okay, yes, but also then the show ended and you came out with this, like, Vogue magazine feature, which I think, like, put a lot of girls on notice. Like, do not discount Alona Verley. Yeah, you're definitely not wrong. That was a really cool opportunity. I honestly pinch myself every day about that still. You know, I, I know I'm talented, but I know that my strengths typically in the past have been in my look. And, you know, my Instagram thing didn't really translate to TV well. For me, I put so much confidence into, like, my looks that I forgot about everything else. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, there's mini challenges. I feel like honestly, in a lot of the mini challenges and stuff, I was so in my head and like unsure of how I was going to come off on camera that I just wasn't able to be myself. And watching the show, I was just like cringing the whole time. I'm like, oh no, I hate her. <laughs> oh, really? Absolutely. I still haven't rewatched any of the episodes. I didn't even see episode five. I've only seen the episodes I was doing viewing parties for and then obviously viewing parties everyone's screaming and yelling so you don't have to hear half of it anyways but yeah I haven't really gone back to rewatch it just because I'm a little little uh not not connected to the person I was a year ago when we filmed that <laughs> you know drag queens are such celebrated parts of the queer community and they bring joy I don't remember joy but joy was this thing before the pandemic and it was really, really fun <laughs> stop oh my god <laughs> But I just wonder, like, how does it transfer into dating, like, as a drag queen? Like, does does that help you? Does it hurt you? Is it more challenging? <laughs> you look terrified. Oh, my God. This is so illegal. How dare you ask me that? Okay, so the reason why I'm, like, freaking out about this is because I haven't dated or been in a relationship for probably, like, four years now. 
And I obviously like am a hoe, so I hook up and that's fine and whatever, but that's a totally different thing, you know? And I have my first date actually in probably ever on Wednesday. And I'm very stressed out about it because I don't view myself as like attractive. (laughs) And so for me also, as someone who identifies with being more female, a lot of personal relationships like that happen when I'm female presenting, you know, if that, if you're putting up what I'm picking down. Got it. (laughs) I didn't say that right, but you know what I'm saying. Anyways, (laughs) picking up what I'm putting down. There we go. See me, me already flustered. But yeah, so I I haven't had much experience being comfortable just being myself in a dating kind of situation for a minute. And this really hot guy slid into my DMs literally this past week and we've been texting and flirting and it's been really cute. And like, he is also like kind of kind of famous and has his little verification check. And so he's got his own clout. And so like, for me, I think now that's something I'm always thinking about is like, do they only want to talk to me for clout? You know, that's it's weird, but that's what happens. That's real. But so this guy is so cute and hot and like man of my dreams, like covered in face tattoos, like very my, my, my dream guy. And he's talking to me and I'm shook. And yeah, he's going to cook me dinner on Wednesday. So we'll see how that goes. That's so fun. Yeah. Well, this podcast doesn't come out for like two months. So we'll follow okay. up. Also, oh, you know what? Maybe when this comes out, the date will have happened. Maybe we'll be married or maybe we'll be married and divorced. Who knows? Yeah. So there you go. I'm, I'm trying dating. First time in four years. Dating as a drag queen. Real weird. <laughs> Before we end it, though, I have to go back to one thing earlier. I I just had a realization where we're talking about being two-spirit. And one of the questions I was having is, okay, being two-spirit is a part of Indigenous culture, but how known and accepted is it? And I think, like, the answer is, and I want to fact-check this with you before, like, we end. But the answer is that Indigenous culture is no more or less homophobic than any other culture. Like, is that a fair assumption to make? I would say that, you know, because at the end of the day, like... Within any culture, if you break it down, it's just people. And I feel like our society as just people has this very sheltered view on queer people or has had this sheltered view. And really, you know, as much as queerness has been just accepted in the last how many years in, you know, a mainstream white society per se, it's also like that for indigenous communities, you know? this acceptance of queer people is kind of new in general. Yeah, it's not like any indigenous communities not being, like, influenced, of course, by, like, the wider culture. I don't know. I mean, it sounds simple, but it just, like, hit me, like, oh, I'm trying to figure out how accepting this community is, but they're just as accepting as anybody else and no more or less. Yeah, I I would say, you know, obviously there's going to be pockets of homophobia, but there's also going to be pockets of huge acceptance, you know, and you just got to find that acceptance where you can find it and take it and run with it when you can take it and run with it. Amazing. I think that's an amazing place to leave it at too. Thank you for spending so much time with us. Of course. Thank you for talking to me, little old me. And that was Alona Verley. If you want to check out some of her amazing monochromatic pastel perfection that we talked about, you can do that on her Instagram, which is just her name, at Alona Verley. Also, we've launched our annual listener survey. We want to hear from you. I want to know what's working, what's not, who you want to hear more from. Personally, I love the older guests. 
we have an amazing Stonewall veteran coming up that I just taped, and I want to know if you also love those kind of older, more historic interviews. Any and all feedback is welcome. There is a link in the show notes for that, as well as all across our social medias. As always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at LGBTQPod. I'm on there at JeffMasters1. Thank you, of course, for helping us to spread the word on social media about our new interviews. Things like that really are a big help. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. Come check out all of our amazing work at advocate.com and glad.org. All right, we'll be back next week with an amazing and history-making opera singer who is also trans, so you do not want to miss it. All right, see you then. Bye.